Hello, Austin. Hello, Basil. I see you're drinking the office instant coffee. Cool. This coffee smells like shit. It is shit, Austin. Oh, good, then it's not just me. We at the Rewind Movie Podcast have discovered a new and exciting coffee company called the Unorthodox Roasters. Whoop-de-doo! What does it all mean, Basil? It means, Austin, you can get great-tasting coffee at affordable prices from around the world by ordering online and getting it delivered straight to your door. And you can select whether you want your coffee ground or whole bean. Just head over to www.unorthodoxroasters.co.uk to check out their fantastic range of coffee blends and products. Here, try mine, freshly brewed. It's a bit nutty. Well, Austin, the Unorthodox Roasters produce a wide range of fantastic coffee that caters to your taste. And if you want, they also offer a subscription service from three months up to 12 months. So you never need to worry about having to sample the instant coffee offering at the office. Smashing, Basil. So why don't you wake up the right way with the Unorthodox Roasters? Links to the site can be found in the show notes. It's groovy, baby. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gally, and we have another interview today as part of the Open Slate series. The Open Slate. The Open Slate, where we speak to film and television professionals about their careers, how they got into the industry, and uncover any advice they might have for those wanting to pursue a career in film and television. Our guest today has just finished his own midnight run to get all the way here from Canada. <laughs> it's Aidan Dungay. Welcome back, Aidan. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much. Um, it's it's strange that we're not taking year-long breaks between talking to each other. This is quite yeah. nice. Yeah, mm. like like no. all good friends do. I mean, it's the... you're there in spirit, Aiden. You're there in the group, the the secret hidden miser. Right, Aiden. You know what's up, right? You know what's happening. Yeah. Well, then I suppose then I would like you to tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself and your role and some of the productions you've worked on. So I currently work as a first AC, which means assistant camera. So I'm part of the camera department. I work my way up from uh, being a camera trainee, and then I was a second AC, and then I'm a focus puller or first AC. So it's uh, just below the position of camera operator. And uh, I've done that for, I think, the last nine years, um, pretty much since I moved to Canada since I moved to Vancouver, that's when I decided to take the step up from being a uh, second AC to pretending I was going to be a focus puller and trying <laughs> to convince people over here that didn't know me that I was a focus puller. So, and I'll probably use, I'll, and I do apologize because I will probably be dropping the, like interchanging first AC and focus puller quite a lot, but it's the same thing. It's just different uh, terminology for exactly the same job. One tries to impress more than the other. I like your tactic, though. Just move to a country where they don't know you and then say, I do this. I, like I was uh, given some very good advice by a very good camera operator, this guy, Jamie Harcourt, who may be one of my absolute film heroes, who I was lucky enough to work with, who, uh, when he found out I was moving to Vancouver, his advice straight away was, uh, tell, them that you're, tell them all that you're a camera operator and just do that which is kind of incredible coming from Jamie, who was one of the most like well-respected camera operators in the British film industry. 
who's worked on everything. I mean, the guy worked as a, the guy worked as a clapper loader last second AC on the original Star Wars movie, and like he's done his credit list is insane. And he was a guy saying, "Oh, just you know, you can go over there and just fake it till you make it." But I didn't have the sort of brass. <laughs> I didn't have the brass on me to to do that, nor did I have the drive to be a camera operator. So I uh, I did know I had had some experience focus pulling, and I was enjoying it. But I thought I'd initially, before I moved over to Canada, that I was going to go continue being a second AC and and keep grinding my way up. And then when I got here, I th- thought of Jamie's words and thought, Ah, fuck it, I'm just going to tell everyone this is what I want to do, and that that's what I am. And that's how it's ended up working. And here I am, nine years later, still pretending. <laughs> you know, you said there you, you didn't have the brass to say you're a camera operator. It's still big old bollocks on you to move to Canada. Oh, it's amazing what not wanting to do police procedural dramas and uh, <laughs> and costume dramas will lead you to. It can lead you halfway around the world to go work on CW superhero shows. Well, go on. Tell, tell us a bit about what, what you've worked on. You said your your man there had a lucrative CV. Let's see what we can look for that's out of focus on your. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so my focus pulling work, um, some of the stuff that I've done, probably most enjoyable stuff. I did a TV show called Deadly Class, which was based on a, a set of graphic novels and comics, which were which was really entertaining. Probably one of the most enjoyable jobs I've done in my career. Um, I did. I was. I worked on the Stand, the uh, Stephen King remake that came out. The Stephen King adaptation that came out on Amazon with uh, Alexander Starsgard. That was again highly entertaining and really challenging and uh, fulfilling to do. Um, done. I did uh, the TV remake, well, the streaming remake of the Tom Hanks movie Turner and Hooch, featuring oh, yeah. Josh Peck, who's now in Oppenheimer, I believe. Yeah. Um which now no longer can be watched on Disney Plus nor do I think it exists anymore. I believe it was uh, in the in the great p- streaming purge of 6 months ago. I think it was one of those ones that didn't make the cut and it got actually it's been deleted from the from the from the hard drive. One of the one of the jobs I've done that, I, that I'm genuinely quite proud of is a there's a set of 3 little mini movies they're like 50 minute episodes and they're uh, called ivy and bean they're based off a series of kids books and it's the it was a job that i took because i basically got to the stage where i realized that being 16 years into a career i'd never made anything that i could sit and watch with my kids i've got two young daughters who are six and eight and i hadn't made anything like before they were born that they could watch and 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 i there was just nothing that I'd been able to sit and watch with them. Not even dogging a love story. Yeah, I mean, they do love a good comedy, but that wouldn't be one of them, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, so so I I I I remember taking that job because I I was desperate to have something that because because they got the age where they were actually asking what I do and 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 oh, understanding so cool. what the filmmaking process might be uh, besides just that it was a, like this thing that was on the, that they could turn on the TV and they understood there was something going on to actually make like help make what they were seeing happen and so i uh, i basically got the chance to do this job and took it and then it was it, like from the start of it i was like well this is great it's something i 
I can watch with the girls, which would be a, a which would be really fulfilling for me. And then when it actually came out, when it was finally released and came out, they loved it. They loved everything about it. They loved the story. They loved how it all uh, was always done. And they were, it was one of the first moments. Of, well, not one of the first moments. They were very proud of me. But it was one of those moments where like they were genuinely very proud of the work that I do, and which I, was That's pretty grand. cool. Yeah, that was a good. That was a good day. Aidan, if if I may, just to follow on from that, and forgive me if I'm going a bit personal here, but has the job been quite difficult to to spend time with your daughters in general? Anyway, oh yeah, I mean it's it is the film industry in general. It it gives a lot. It take it gives a huge amount. Whether it's like financial security when you are working, the opportunity to to be in places and that you might not normally get to go to or, or do things that you might not ordinarily get to be a part of. Um, also the camaraderie aspect of like being part of a, being part of a team and like, you know, everyone gel- like getting together to, for, to, to make something or like have to create, to, to make something creative in some respect. Um, but it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of your time. It takes a lot of your effort. It's, you know, it's not, and not to to immediately like fall on the low it's uh it can have take real strains on families and you know it it has kept me away from my kids a lot luckily my kids are pretty great girls and and you know I, I try and I I mean I stopped taking jobs that would take me far away for long periods of time so I could actually make sure that the time I had with them like like I was going to get opportunities to send, but I mean in the, at the end of the day, it was one of the factors that did also affect my marriage, and it's like one of the thi- like one of other things that basically meant that you know I'm now no longer married, and it's part. And the film industry played its part in that, but I'm, obviously I can't lay like layer it all onto. It wasn't all that, but at the same time, it it has an effect. It's definitely part of it. It's a it's a it's a it's heavy industry pretty much. It's like, it takes you mm. away a lot. It's a, it, it's that thing where it's not, a, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle and it's, which is a bit of a cliche, but at the same time, it, it definitely rings true. Mm. And you can, you can get quite addicted to, you can get addicted to the lifestyle as, as healthy and unhealthy as that is. It's all, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. We spoke about it um, a little bit when me and Patrick did this and, and Patrick, I think I said, you know, at times it can feel like, you know, can it feel like chasing the dragon a little bit? You know, you've got you've got your your big job, and there's a resistance to turn something down, or you feel like you're on the precipice of 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 kind of a trajectory, and you don't want to impact that. And that, so, Aiden, is that kind of what you're you wrangle with then that conflict? Yeah, all and it's it's uh it's ongoing, and it's like it's you. I mean, who doesn't want to be who doesn't want to be well respected in what they do and so yeah, you 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 chase jobs that are maybe viewed as more more you know um, higher status or like privileged or or you know more bespoke you know like a show or a movie that's got like a, uh, maybe name recognition behind it or something that you know is going to get like has a big budget so it has prestige behind it and you you want to be you know you want to be or at least I have always wanted to be respected in what I do. And I know earlier on in my career, when I was a, especially when I was a second, I took that, I I took that too far. I took it too seriously. I, I was too, 
single-minded in that in 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 that pursuit but and it was it was it's just i think because when you're there and when you're there and you're doing it it's like and it and it's working and you're in the flow of it it's a great feeling it's you're you're doing you're part of something that not a massive group of like there's not a huge number of people do get to be part of what we do even though crews are large and there's a lot of production being made it's still percentage wise of a global population or a small number of specialists and uh and so it's you and to be part of that it's it, it is thrilling especially when it's all going well and then you you might do a, jo- a job or a couple of jobs where you might where you know it's it's not overly enjoyable it's a bit more of a drag you're having a harder time maybe stuff outside of the work of work is is affecting you know is affecting where you're at and how your thought processes and how you're cracking on and then then you start looking at the job and being resentful towards it and then but then i mean i think patrick mentioned it on the on is it on the episode that he, he was talking about you'll take a break you'll get refreshed you'll maybe sort out some of the stuff that you've been putting on the back burner with your life in general and then you'll get another job you'll you'll be with a great group of people like a great crew you know you'll 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 be having a real laugh on set and you, you're back into it it's and that's the feeling that i think you i end well that's definitely the feeling that i end up chasing it's like the job that i take the jobs that i kind of try and take now it become less about what the job is like what the content is and although that is also you know, you want it to be good. You want you want people to watch what you're doing and actually think it's you know their finest product is you know of quality and, and enjoyable. But at the same time, it's a lot more of it now becomes who am I working with? What's a, what's this? What's it going to be like on set? What's like you know? Am I going to be able to have a laugh and enjoy the day? Because it's going to be a long day, like comparably to a lot of other industries. I mean, being away from, out of the house for 16 hours isn't unheard of at all it's my i mean it's actually surprising got a little bit better since since covid where they've tried to make it you know we came back from the covid shutdown there seemed to be more of a drive to to make sure that your days weren't crazy but i mean before that i mean i did the last season of x-files they you know they did the they did the re the like the re not the well like the reboot i guess and they did two seasons and i did the last season of the reboot and we were on, we were always like we were always breaking our turnaround. A turnaround being the time that you finish on set to when you are supposed to come back the next day. Now I'm part of a. I'm part. Should of be breaks. eleven hours, right? It's ten hours over here in, in Vancouver, like by our union, which is so. I'm part of a quite a strong camera union, which is um, ICG six six nine, the International Camera Guild. Um. And they, you know, they look after us as as best as they can. But at the same time, you know, they've got a lot. There's always a there's a lot of things going on above what we above and beyond what what we're even aware of. And our turnaround time is ten hours. Now on that, which isn't a problem if you're doing a twelve hour camera day, which is pretty standard. But then you've got to think on your twelve hour camera day. We've got a pre-call in front of that to make sure that um, we've got all the camera gear ready to go that, that so that when our call time comes up, say, out, say we've got a 7 a.m. call time, that's everything on set, ready to go, 7 o'clock in the morning, actors walking on to 
to like, you know, block and rehearse scene. We start setting up cameras, lighting guys start setting up lights, grip starts setting up all like uh, camera platforms and, and and all and like lighting supply and and um, lighting support, you know. So and and the makeup and hair team who've been in like three to four hours before us, you know, they're cracking away. They they've like their ten hour turnaround for them is non-existent, especially on a big day, you know, like big crowd, fifteen actors or something. Those days, I think I said it with Gally when we spoke that. That twelve-hour day, you you said it as well. Easily and quickly becomes sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hours. That were union rules. If say it do, it does become like quite easily, you know, York. They're saying right, twelve hours on camera, but you've got your time before and after where you're getting this stuff ready. And I'm talking about just the camera department, not the other departments. That have even more to do before us and after us. Like we, they'll be like, well, you know, we've got to keep, we've got to make the filming day longer because we've got to make our schedule and we've got the X amount of pages we need, of script we need to shoot today. And, you know, it took longer to do this scene and this scene and oh, one of the actors isn't isn't going to be ready out of makeup for, for you know, it's the makeup change is taking a bit longer than we thought. And, you know, the lighting changes and all like, oh, the well, you know. Or the have some shots. Yeah, oh, yeah, very, <laughs> very often. Oh, it started pissing it down with rain and you've shot half the scene in in sunlight. In like dry conditions, so it's like, well, we'll do we wait for the rain to pass? Da, da, da. You know, all those factors. Then suddenly you're sitting it. Your camera day has been 14 hours. You've had an hour pre-call. It's going to take more than an hour to wrap all your gear, and to do 10 hours to get in the next day. All you're doing is pushing the next. You're kind of pushing it down the line all the time, and so you end up. You basically. Like that was one of like X Files is one of those ones where we were always on broken turnaround where they pay you for broken turnaround. So you know when you get your paycheck on a Thursday over here, it's great. <laughs> you you've got no care in the world because all you're looking at is fat cash. With a bit of that, then and the difficulties of the hours and and the strains of a day that we're very familiar with as well. Can you talk about a little bit how is it easier working in a studio compared to working on location for the camera department? It's it's easier in terms of you'll be contained, you know where you are, you can have all your gear essentially laid out already so that, that your like beginnings and ends of your day are a lot it's it's all more controlled. You can like wheel equipment physically closer to wherever you need to be. Logistically it's just it's more simple, but by God it can get boring. It can get so like for me anyway, it can get so dull and I love location work, I've got to be honest. Obviously it gets to the stage where if you when you're on your third week in a row out in the forest getting rained on every day, then it gets a bit much. But like, <laughs> I, do, I, I love that. I mean, I got into this because I wanted this. I wanted to see scenery change all the time. I didn't want to be in an office. I didn't want to be stuck doing the same thing. I wanted, I wanted everything to be like constantly in flux, and I wanted challenges to deal with that would, uh, that that. So like location work, I love it. I mean, I did um. I was lucky enough to come on just after it started, but um, I I came. There's a it's not been released yet, but um, effects have done have done a uh, uh they've done a a mini series of the book Shogun, which is all set in feudal Japan, and it's massive scale wise, absolutely huge, one of the biggest scale things I've worked on, like 
hundreds upon hundreds of background that they've flown out from Japan. Like they've got sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> there's like the sets were incredible. They've like they they put money into it, but they're trying to make Vancouver look like feudal Japan. So you're not going to be filming in downtown Vancouver. You're not going to be filming anywhere where there's any like buildings or you know infrastructure. Like, is it at least within eyeshot? I guess I don't know. Is eyeshot even a word? But like, <laughs> yeah. um, that. But like, uh, you know. So that was a one that was like a lot of logistical challenges. We're always out in the like out in the shit essentially, and it's Vancouver, so it rains a lot. And like you go, we, even though we, we started, I mean, I was on, I was meant to be on that just for a couple of days. I ended up being on that show for nine months. Wow. And we started out, it was, you know, it was decent, it was sunny, and then it got rain, and then it got cold, and then it got snow, and then it got rain, and then we got a couple of days of sun, and then it got rain. And it was uh, like, you know, we'd be filming out, we'd be filming out, and it was the first time that the term atmospheric river had ever been that I had ever been like uttered and it just, and that all that, all that was, was that turned out to be when Vancouver got um, essentially enough rain in the atmosphere that equated to what would flow through, through a river. Hmm. And so it was like, it was a, I don't know if you guys remember the like the news at the time, but for about a week, Mainland Vancouver was cut off from the rest of Canada because they because the roads had washed away because of how much rain had been. There'd been like road, there'd been like you know Fuck landslides, you know. and and I mean, I mean, luckily all we have to deal with now is intense amounts of wildfires. But when it's not a flaming hellscape in the forests, we tend to get a lot of rain. What's your what's your wet weather gear? Oh, full rubber to stuff you see on the dudes on the deadliest catch. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, like times like that, you know, when you get into it and you're having that much rain and you, you, you're in, you're doing a lot of nights, then all you, all you want to do is get back in the studio just so you can dry your feet off more than anything. But I've got to be honest, it's like you finish a job, you finish a hard job where you've been on location for a lot and fuck, the stories you've got. The, the like the happy the like the general feel like buzzing feeling that you've managed that you managed to do it and you usually I've got more stories from out on location than I do from when we've been bunted down in the studio so maybe some more maybe just a bit of a glutton for punishment though it's time to hear some important messages listeners we'll be right back. Would you like to publicly express your love and passion for cinema, but such displays are not welcome at work? Do you dream of wearing a t-shirt with Jet from Gladiators on it, but you can't find one in the Fruit de Loom collection? Have you always wanted to plaster your bag with stickers of your favourite directors, but you feel like you're a little bit too old? Then go to devlindoesdrawing.com where you can buy the memories of your favourite films and the filmmakers that made them. Posters, t-shirts, and mugs. So don't let life pass you by. Go to devlindoesdrawing.com for the memories of a lifetime. Delivery guaranteed in two weeks. Aiden, um, you talked about being single-minded. So was it always something that you were pursuing? This, this career, this role? No, it 
that all got formed at university. I knew I didn't want to work on the family farm. I knew, you know, like I did enjoy my years of farm labouring. Did you fall out with John Deere? Oh, God, that son of a bitch. (laughs) Free hats he would not give out. Um, (laughs) Now, he, uh, so I am, yeah, I I knew I wanted to get out to university. I wanted a bit more of an independent life. I wanted to have extended an extended period of time away from home and uh, basically form myself as an adult, I guess, uh, with, un, you know, not under the watchful eyes. Yeah, not, like, not just not under the watchful eyes of your parents. You want to get out and, and, like, strike out for yourself a bit. And I found, I mean, I loved watching movies. And then I thought, oh, you know, being a director, that would be good fun. And I found <laughs> a course that didn't require me to perform well with any A-levels. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and lo and behold, um, I got a spot on the film and television production course for Leeds Metropolitan. At Leeds Metropolitan, I, I enjoyed the fact that the course was quite practical, and that they, they kept saying they were going to let you make stuff, and there would be some theory, but a lot of it would be they pitched it on on like getting out there, and the idea is that we're going to push for you to, to to actually get you a spot in the industry, and I like and I. I was always used to working. I was used to, like I say, I was used to working for my dad on the farm, and and I, I didn't see a real path in academia for, academia for me. So I was like, well, you know, this is good. This it sounds like the waxy. This is a university course. It's going to let me have a university lifestyle that I wanted to have, mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the same time, um, get me grafting and in a job at the end of it, and so. That's kind of that's what happened, and I had this highfalutin idea that directing would be for me, and that would be my calling. And then I think it was within the first Cameron Lighting lecture we had, I was like, "Oh, I, fuck, I don't want to direct. This is not what I want to do." And I was just like, "Well, you know, what's the what's the thing with Cameron Lighting? What's the like? What's this director photography thing?" And I found that that was I could get my head around that a lot more. But the more the deeper I got into that, the more I realized. My enjoyment didn't come from creating, create like the visual creation of something like in 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 that role of a director of photography. It was being more part of the like a more being a cog in the machine, but an important cog in the machine. Mm. And and it was more. It was it was more down to earth than for me. It was like that's kind of what resonated with me. It was nuts and bolts. It was you know, fucking soil in your hands and, you know. Film you know, stuck pu- in your hands. Yeah, 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 pushing carts up hills and carrying heavy crap and people saying good job at the end of the day and yeah. not ca- and then not carrying any, you know, not carrying anything with you when you finish the day, not having, like, the, the weight of a production sitting on your shoulders, which is which it can do for a the director for heads of department pretty much like for directors of photography for directors producers ad's you know the amount of stuff that they're dealing with afterwards and that's as i was going through university i was lucky enough to get a couple of jobs on a couple of uh productions one of them being dogging a love story yeah, which was, the one uh, for the kids yeah which which <laughs> i remember which i remember there was a newspaper review there was a review in in one of the local newspaper, the Chronicle, which you could get in Newcastle. There'd always be like a, a paper yeller 
as you walk past the Eldon Square shopping centre who would yell Chronicle as loud as he could. <laughs> and I remember there was a review of the movie in that and it said the worst British comedy since the sex lies of the potato <laughs> men, which was a Johnny Vegas movie. And then I remember it said at the bottom, everyone involved should be ashamed. <laughs> now, oh funnily, enough, funnily enough, the director of photography for that movie, and I don't know if he wants to expunge it from his record, but he can't, was Rob Hardy. Rob, Rob Hardy. Rob Hardy, who would go on to be the DP for Mission Impossible. Was it mm. Fallout or Rogue Nation? Yeah. For Fallout. And it, Fallout. You know, and, and works with Alex Garland and is like very well respected DP. And he he was a great guy as well when I was a, like, obviously I yeah, was. But it's like, a, a, it's like trainer, Bill but... Pope. You know, you've got to go and do those uh, those skin flicks before you can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you co- of course, it pays the bills and it gets you practicing. Your, it gets you practicing your craft in some way. Imagine, right? imagine. You will. You got to think like which camera, which camera department do you want? The ones that have uh, staged and lit like dicks and, and boobs and, <laughs> and stuff like that, or the guys and girls that haven't done that. I know yeah. which one I want. I want the ones that have been there in the trench. Rob you Hardy also... shot that film Exhibit A, the Becky Ray Rogers. Yes. Film. Yeah. And I was yeah. doing the EPK for that, and he made me interview him in a shed in night vision. And he refused, <laughs> he refused to do the interview unless that's how he did it. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's a very interested chap. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed working with him. He's like, he was very. I think at the time he may have been the poshest person I'd ever met, and uh, but he's 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 great. He's very talented. I don't think fucking hell, do a dog in a love story. I can't imagine. But but he, hey, you know what? And he threw himself into it. And he like film from what I remember when I watched when I did eventually watch it. It does look good. It's well lit. It's well composed. It's like he did his job well, mm, and yeah. he's gone on to do. You know, he's gone on to prove himself time and time again as being. You know, one of the best in this field. So, but but DAP is not something you want to no. do now. No, God, no. I remember one of the last projects we did at university was work that I did at university was a music video. Um, that was I think was like the last. It was actually the last thing I made at university, and I was the director of photography for it. And I kind of, um, and then basically I took we had a picture but we had a pitch local bands an idea for a music video mm. and i went in to pitch this idea that i that i'd had which was you know a bit bit of a like it would take a lot to pull off but you know i thought well fuck it it's worth it's it's worth trying and it's worth trying it's worth trying and pushing it while we're at university still because if it fails miserably then you know well, what's the it's not it doesn't follow me in uh, the workforce it's just it's part of i think i mean i think that's the ethos that university that film schools should should kind of follow now not they don't necessarily do that but it should be a case for you to try and fail or succeed but you should be able to experiment mm. um so i went in pitched this idea the band liked it i was only really interested in shooting the thing i was told that we had to that like i had to direct and they get someone else to DP it, and then basically I was like, "All right, okay," and then didn't hire any, didn't bring anybody else in. I was like, "Oh fuck, I'll just direct and DP." 
and then that turned into you do you know because it's your project there was a lot going on i do think the thing turned out all right you know finding my way through or like i actually i sunk, I sunk a bunch of cash into it myself because because well, well it didn't have um I, for some i was desperate uh, to to try shooting on 16 mil because you know mm-hmm. would i would i'd assisted on 16 millimeter film which was like it was kind of at the end of film stock getting used in the north of England for stuff like TV. There was still some stuff, like some TV shows shooting on 16 mil, but a lot of that was going away. And really, if you wanted to work on 35 millimeter film, which was, it is still like viewed upon as a bit of a, is one of these real, like, a, like it's a bit of a, it's a luxury and it's, it's, a, it's, it's sought after, you know, if you can get it, if you can get experience with it, because it's just not that much of a round. And it was, well, we, we were desperate at uni, weren't we? We, all, we wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and, and university, the university was reluctant to let you do that because they didn't want to put these resources in for something that was could easily fail. But at the same time, you're at university to experiment and see what works and what doesn't. And so I basically said that they – I basically taught them to get hold of the camera and then I and then basically I put in my own money to pay for 16 millimeter film stock. I, I got expired film stock from um ProVision, which is one of the camera rental houses. They'd been sitting in their fridge for years and like all the like all the greens had bled out, like the green layer had bled out from like a lower layer and it kind of tinged everything. And it was a case of they said, well we don't know how it'll look, but you only know how it looks once it's been processed, you know, and developed. And it's like, well, may as well. Like, why, why not? What have I got to lose? Bunch of people's time, bunch of people's energy, and so, 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 I put, so I paid for the film stock and the processing and color timing of the thing, which you know at the time I think was like six hundred pounds, but that was a lot when you when you're a student, you got and you've got absolutely fuck all, and you and you're buying like, uh, yeah, and you're waiting, you're like waiting for the beginning of the month so you can get your overdraft back. And pay f- and like go down to HMV to buy like five DVDs for ten pound. <laughs> That's not where you went with your money. You went to the comic book store. We all know that. Did go to the comic book store. I remember I Devlin know. saying, um, and of course Devlin and Dungate were friends because their names are in the alphabet of uni, and they were putting the class together. That's why, remember... <laughs> why we're friends. Only reason why we're friends. <laughs> I remember him saying you were knackered directing that. It really took it out of you. Well, it was just it was it was a lot, and then I when I got to the end and made it, I was like, well, I'm I enjoyed I enjoyed it, and I and and I was happy enough with the finished project, but I wasn't like overjoyed with it by any stretch of the imagination. The band were fine with it, but they we both quickly realised that I'd made a short film with their music rather than a music video, which I know it sounds like splitting hairs, but when you're actually looking at it, it is quite a it is there. There is quite a change, but there's like quite a tonal change between those two things. I just remember getting to the end of that and being like, "Well, the only bit I really enjoyed from that was the bits where like I was jumping in and like doing the more technician-y bits, mm-hmm. you know, like physically yeah. dragging stuff around, setting stuff up, hold, like handling cameras and stuff like that." And and it, and then and then the more that I started to work as an, as a trainee and as a second AC the more I was just really enjoying that part and really uh, I was finding that to be really fulfilling and not wanting to do the bit where I'd see camera operators stressed out because 
you know, because they've got eye line, you know, an actor's look, his eye line's not exactly right. And then a, a director and a camera operator and a DP getting in an argument on set because like, you know, well, the eye line should be slightly further up if he's looking at a giraffe and like, not that far up, that's, that giraffe will be way too high. And you'd be like, you'd be standing there going like, oh, we are now 20 minutes into this inane conversation that like, I'll be honest with you, when I watch something on TV, I'm just like, oh, I wonder why he's looking that high. You know, mm. but that's the level of detail that they require, whereas that's the level of detail that I didn't really want nor have. But what I did, what I was always, what I was always have, well, what I feel I'm like decent at, what my strength lies in is getting, you know, dealing with like more down to earth logistics. Well, with that, then, did after university, did you feel adequately prepared from film school? Was it learning through osmosis on set? And can you tell us a little bit about your first day on a professional set? Yeah, well, okay. I mean, my first day on a professional set was, um, I mean, I know I wasn't prepared. I didn't really know what I was doing. I initially got hired on a job as an on-set video assistant, which basically is uh, setting up some monitors with a recorder on that I'd uh, I'd record the takes so that if they wanted to watch, if anybody wanted, you know, directors, script supervisors, camera operators, or even actors wanted to watch stuff back, you know, I, I'd rewind it and play it for them, sync it up. And I came into that not knowing what that was. And I was like, oh, I'm a video set assistant. But there was no one, I wasn't assisting anyone. There was no video, that on-set video playback operator, which there are on bigger things, but this wasn't a bigger thing. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea the protocol. And I had no idea that I was supposed to, that if I was turning up on time, I was 15 minutes late, like that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) And and so I, I, you know, it was a, it was, and, and I was working with a, the the focus puller of that show, who I did immediately know, I was like, well, he seems like he's the head of my department, and he's one telling people what to do. And my equipment seems to live on their on his truck that he rules the roost of. Very good focus puller, like, and, and I'm sure it was a lovely guy. But for me at the time, I had no idea what I was meant to be doing, and he had no interest in training me. Mm. which I understand now to a degree because he also has other stuff going on and production should have had this per like maybe should have had someone who either trained me or there should have been someone with more experience doing my job. But at the same time I am there and I'm trying to do it. And, uh, it took me, it took me quite a while to, to, to figure out what the fuck I was meant to be doing and, and, and what I should like when I should be waiting and when I shouldn't be waiting to do something. And also to get in the groove of, of how important what my, again, my cog was in that machine. Cause I was like, well, I'm just, I'm very junior in this whole thing. So, you know, it mustn't be that big a deal. And they come over and be like, can we see such and such a take? And I'd be like, ah, yeah, well, the tape ran out just at the beginning of that. So I didn't catch the end of it. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing then? And, you know, you get reamed out and you'd be like, oh, well, I don't want to get shouted at again. So I better not let that happen. And takes getting shouted at a few times. For me, I'm not the quickest of learners. I'm not the brightest fucking bulb in the pack. So, you know, <laughs> it, it it took a while. And then you'd be like, right, okay, okay, I've got this. And by the end of the show, you know, the this guy who 
this folks pose just like he's like oh you really pulled it together there at the end it's like and you're like oh wow thank you what a compliment and that's I'm glad they kept looking, you on look yeah me too <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> there's negligence there isn't there in, in some regards because how how is anybody expected to do anything if they've not received some form of training or even just a kind of a a, a walkthrough before you get onto day one something which i feel is I feel we're in a better place now in the industry. And I can say that in Vancouver, especially, well, as in my instances, but my um, experiences between working in England for those years and working over here for those for, in Vancouver for those years, I feel there is more of an opportunity where you get run through. People understand that the role's a bit more, there's a bit more of a, there's a more of a support structure there as opposed to um, them. Is I mean, back then, sometimes, Honestly, I don't. I don't want to be like, oh, back in my day, because people would have had it way worse than we did before we got in. But it, not only was it sink or swim, I felt sometimes with when when I started, it's sink or swim. Here's a fucking barbell, <laughs> and so it's it, it could be it could be it could be a bit brutal. Mm. But if you went into it with a you know, with an attitude and you, and you didn't give up and you bit down and fucking, you know, hands up, head down, walk forward. Don't take, you know, don't take some of the stuff personally and you just want it. And sometimes you just got to want it enough. It, it also helps that you're an incredibly charming person, Aidan. <laughs> because, well, I'm more charming over here because they're not used to my accent as much. I was yeah, I bet you, a bit I bet more you of a ham that right up there. Excuse oh, me, a it. cup of tea, please. Mate, it's like you would not believe it. People think I'm so fucking intelligent and they don't understand that I can <laughs> barely keep my own thought processes together. <laughs> it's amazing. That's why my career has really flourished at the mid-level of their TV that I hit over here. Don't buy wigs that come off at the wrong time. Maury's wigs don't come off, even underwater. And remember, Maury's wigs are tested against... Hurricane winds. Don't forget about money. You can afford a Maury wig, price to fit every budget. So call me now and come in for a personalized fitting. Okay, Aiden, I wanted to ask you about you going global and how how that came about, really, um, and and also what kind of challenges you faced. I mean, was it easy to move from the UK to Canada? And also move from the UK film and television industry into the Canadian film. Is it as simple as just rocking up and going, hey, I'm a Brit abroad. Any jobs? You said about like just blagging it a little bit, but surely that didn't. No, no. <laughs> I mean, so so I had like two, st- I've had two stints in Canada. I came over at one point. I just finished a pretty decent movie. I was just on the cusp of. I was doing some work as a second AC. I was finishing off being a, tra- a camera trainee. It was kind of like I was in this, I was in this between period where I was getting some good, good work, and I was really happy with the, the mo- this movie that I that I just managed to come off where I'd had this great experience, and uh, went over to live in Vancouver for a, on a one year work and holiday visa. Now, me being overly cocky with the way things were and having way too much. Uh, way way too much self esteem. Uh, not self esteem, but I was, I was so cocksure of myself due to my experience up to this point, where I'd been like, 
you know, I've, I've been working and the work had been good and I seem to be getting good feedback of people. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go to Vancouver where they're making all this stuff. And I'll just walk in because I'm, you know, look at the stuff I've already been doing. I was, I was very, very sure of myself, which I shouldn't have been because then I got over there and everyone said, oh, you know, you've got to be in the union to work on anything here. I was like, okay, well, what's the, what's the, what's the union? Like, you know what I mean? That, that, that level of naivete, <laughs> like, what's it's run by the mafia. <laughs> yeah. What, what's a per diem? It's a thing you go and spend like on comic books instead of food. It's like, well, what's the, what's a union? Well, it's a thing that gets you all the work and you've got to be, you know, you've, you've got to hit a bunch of steps and you've got to, you, you've got to be of a certain status as in like a permanent resident rather than on a work and holiday visa. And, you know, and then, and it's like, and you know, there's a, there's a, funnily enough, almost like there is now, there was like a real die down at that point where I arrived over there in, in filming over there, they, they had this thing called keep BC rolling going on, which was like a big push to try and bring productions back to Vancouver when it had got quiet. And I was there when it was quiet. And I was just like, I said, I just kind of expected to be like, Hey, listen, done a bunch of stuff. You you'll have heard. Hey, have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Right. Pretty much put us in. Um, Do you know who I am? <laughs> and then, but then, of course, that didn't happen. Rightfully so, uh, and I learned a, a very valuable lesson and managed to put myself in check or got put in check, which was very useful for me going forward. But I was still in, I was still in, a, I was still in Vancouver with my with my then girlfriend, who would become my wife, who would become my ex wife. So yeah, I. I I got over there and I was still going, I was still over there for the year because, you know, we were there having an experience. So I just basically took the opportunity to, I did some other work. I worked at a, I, I worked like live doing live event lighting, you know, we'd stick lights up in the scaffold in the, in the rigging for like big concerts and stuff like that. And that meant that I had also had a, like a lot of time off and I've got to experience not working all the time and being in the city, which I really loved and having this lifestyle that was more suited to what I wanted to be doing and what, and what I want and like, you know, having access to like the mountains and kayak and then the water and skiing if I wanted to. And all this sort of stuff was, was like right on my doorstep. And I ended up falling, falling in love with the city and the lifestyle and knowing that there was productions coming and that Vancouver traditionally is quite a busy city and then being like, well, there's productions here. And I know I, I kind of said it as a bit of a throwaway joke earlier, but it was true. I was getting fucking sick of doing police procedurals. And there was only so much I could see myself being able to achieve in England at the kind of, in the, almost in the time frame that I, that, that I wanted. There was like, and part of that was I was used to kind of working to a degree nomadically due to the fact that I was working away from Newcastle a lot and, you know, Every now, like I say, every now and then, a job would come up which would keep me keep me home, which was a which was a blessing. But I thought, well, there's other stuff out there, and there's other industries, and there's and a lot of American stuff, a lot of stuff made for the states is made is shot in Vancouver, but you don't have to be in the states. And not that I dislike America by any stretch of the imagination. There's um, like I don't want to live in the states, but I like. Canada and I like Vancouver I like Vancouver and I liked Canadians by and large that I was meeting. So <laughs> it just kind of seemed like this natural fit and it was the comfort of being in those surroundings combined with the fact that I knew there was a like gonna be a big in that there was a big industry. It was quiet when I was there, but I knew it was coming back. I was like, well I can work towards getting back in. I was like, well I've already and I've already already done it once and I th- yeah. I think partially 
again, coming from a an area which wasn't a film hub at the time, meant I was kind of all right with getting over and, re- and resetting myself up over there. But, I mean, it took a long time because I came back after my visa ran up knowing that I was going to, that me and, me and my partner were going to apply for permanent residency to allow me to join a union in, join the camera union in Vancouver. But it was going to take time. And of course, I and the hardest part was I'd been away from England for a year mm. and all those contacts I'd been working with had moved on with other people. Yeah. And so to be honest, the, my, the biggest quiet spell of work I had was when I first came back from Vancouver I got Gosh. more work. I got work when I came, when I finally got back to Vancouver as a permanent resident and was got had all my paperwork in. I was waiting for the for the union to pick up my paperwork and see to see if I could like join the the ranks. I I like I was getting more work than I had when I'd first come back to England. It was just the fact that like all these all the people I'd worked with, it, they I mean the the film industry is a train that doesn't stop moving. It's like whether you're on board or not. And like mm. it's, and that's, I mean, that's good in a way. And it's, but uh, my God, if you if you if you're not if you've missed the stop or you're chasing after the thing, it can be a bit. It can take a while to to, to you know to get back in the cycle of things. And the trainer definitely moved on without me, which uh, <laughs> as in my as in my 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 people that I knew. So I spent a long time not working in the film industry when yeah. I got back, and I went back to farm labour, and I was back on the farm, and I remember having a chat with my brother, and my brother was like, "Look, are you coming back on the farm full time?" Are you, or, or what, what are you planning? And I had no idea because I was a bit disillusioned. I was a bit disillusioned with why I'd, I'd, I'd gone to Vancouver with this idea that they were going to welcome me with open arms. And it's a stupid thought process now. I can't really believe that, believe that I was so fucking cocksure of myself. But at the same time, when I came back and I was like, oh, now I can't even seem to like, kick up the work here that I once used to have. You don't need to be in the union to work in the UK, camera, do you? No, no. No, that's and that that was one of the things. That was why I was so, why I was I was so unaware. I mean, it would have taken a very little amount of research for me to realize what it like that you need to be in the union really if you want to work on certain stuff. And and I mean, and there is like a non-union industry here in Vancouver, but if you want to work on stuff that's like that that's a bit more prestigious or like stuff that's a bit more like it's going to pay you that's run properly as well yeah exactly and it's got the support (laughs) structure around it you you want to be in the union really it's going to give you the best chance but yeah you you, but you don't need that in england it's 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 like you need to find in england you find people that are willing to back you and take you along and they can take you from like job to job to job and you'll go you'll and you know you'll be with the same couple of crews and you'll see every gamut you'll see like the low budget you'll see the high budget you'll be you'll get a really good experience that way May I suggest, Aidan, one area that you didn't mention about the draw of Vancouver would be films like Signed, Sealed, Delivered for Christmas uh, oh, and, and, and other absolute <laughs> hallmark classics. Uh, yes. I, and I, it might sound like I'm being super uh, facetious, but I'm actually not because Danielle and I love us a hallmark movie. It doesn't need to be Christmas related. But there is a comfort in knowing exactly how a story is going to end up. But also the dream, the Western capitalist dream on screen. It tends to be white capitalist as well, I was going to say. Oh, yeah. yeah, Highly religious. And is there nothing more satisfying than going, I'm that guy in like two episodes of Buffy. (laughs) 
I think he was. Yeah, I saw one with a girl from <laughs> Sopranos. I'm like, wow. I, uh, Danielle, in particular, wanted me to ask about your experiences uh, on those. Because she's always like, but they're always lit so badly. I was like, is that Aiden? And I was like, I don't think Aiden <laughs> does the lighting. But, but, you know, I'll ask him. Yeah, if the people aren't blurry that you're looking at, that we, even when they're overlit, then I'm doing all right. <laughs> is it to conceal the fact that they're like 50? play in 28 those shows are a great proving ground because the like a lot of those i did when i i was in that period where i was in vancouver i was waiting to to get into the union and i had this big spell of time as like you know getting to stuff together and getting paperwork in and waiting for them like my app my essentially my application to be looked at by other by members of the like um application board and stuff like that and so a lot of those hallmark and like movies of the week they're called are non-union so but you get gear that you would use on a regular set like it's 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 close in terms to what you'd get but like you know you're shooting there all of them are three weeks in length like 10 to 11 pages of dialogue a day like don't get through it and you just like pound through the 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 content essentially but they're like and they're they're all the the best example of the like a, a best kind of like way I can sum it up is there's a there's a director that does like a lot of these and he's a really good guy and he's a good laugh but he knows exactly what it is and there was one one day where you know they don't pay overtime they don't pay pre call so your your days are relatively short for a film set but at the same time you're busy busy going and there's no messing around it and he and we were like there was one shot where we were they were futzing with something that was going to be on camera. And it was one of those ones where it, was, it wasn't it was quite coming together and it was all very finicky, but it was also quite a small, like a small detail. And this director just comes in and he stops everyone and goes, listen, we all know what we're doing. We're making TV for shut-ins. Let's just get this done. <laughs> oh, he's got my number. He's got my number. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And so it, it's got to play to such a broad audience that that uh, the you've got to just make it and 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 like m- most of it's going to work. You've got to be prepared. Some of it's not going to like quite going to you know the the finer details might not be there, but I mean they're bright because like they don't have a ton of time, and at the same time like the people the middle America that wants to what that is like really watching all this stuff. They're not that bothered, and they want to be able to yeah. see. Every, they want to be no, able to and, see and everything. Aiden, Aiden, don't want to see and Moody. Yeah. We can't. We let's not talk it down. You know exactly what you're going in for. It's one oh, of the yeah. other reasons why hey. I love the Dick Wolf Law and Order stuff because it's like <laughs> I want to see justice in 50 minutes, and that's what he gives you. I I I will never t- like talk down on the MOWs because you never know when they're going to come back around. Like the perfect example was I'd come off like a run of decently budgeted stuff the writer's strike started sag hadn't gone on strike yet but it was got really quiet and the only th- and, and i got a call and there's like there's a christmas hallmark which i hadn't done in in years it's like it was going to be three weeks it was the same thing it's going to be three weeks the wages are what the wages are you know the kit you, you know that the kit is going to be pretty minimal but you got this da, 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 da. like you want to do it? And I was like, uh, and again, it was, I was sitting there thinking, well, I've got nothing else. And it's the thing. Yeah, I was like, this is going to keep the lights on, pay the mortgage, 
Like, and I, and I was back there doing it, and you know what? It was, it's always great laugh. to have Christmas every day, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was a, it was yet another Christmas in June. I've had a lot yeah, of Christmases in June. I love seeing the fake snow on the floor. So good. <laughs> and um, actors walking around in heavy sweaters in blistering sunshine and heat waves. <laughs> They're my favourite. Um, I, I suppose leading on from that, some of our listeners would have uh, would have seen Bronson, which you worked on in the mm-hmm. uh, UK film. How does that compare to you? You mentioned it earlier about Shogun, yeah, uh, the the Amazon show. How does how does that compare? Just as far as like for you doing your role, just the scale, I guess. And, and, and we realised that you know they're quite disparaging things, but I suppose from working in the UK and working in Canada, because Bronson was very small budget. It was, but, yeah. you know, an up and coming director in Breton, and then Shogun is, like, is it HBO? It's uh, FX, right? And but I mean, the um, obviously my role in both being completely like very very different. My I was a camera trainee on Bronson, that I got like very nicely. I got credited as a camera assistant because we had a bunch. There was a period where near in the last third where they had a lot of two cameras, and they just pumped me across to, to basically assist one of the other cameras. But I was essentially the camera trainee, which was, and and like you say, smaller budget, more contained. But you knew you knew the product, that you, you knew what you were making was of such a good quality and it was such a different tone than anything else I'd ever done. And the experience was really, it, I, lo- I loved being on Bronson. I loved doing that movie. I loved working with like Tom Hardy, who was such an like really car- like a character a proper character who for good and bad but like got he was great to me and he's great uh, so, like some some like us train that trainee and assistant level he was always great with us and super nice dude but at the same time you could tell the talent he was a name because he'd been in a, he, you know, I recognized him from other stuff, which at the, at the time was, was like a deal. I was like, Oh my God, you know, he's, he's black Hawk down. Um, and, the, and, uh, and Larry Smith, who was the DP, he was like Stanley Kubrick's DP. Oh, right. Stan, at one point he was Stanley Kubrick's DP's gaffer and he gaffed a lot of Stanley Kubrick stuff. And then he was Stanley Kubrick's DP and he had a ton of good stories and it was just, and they were really, and it was like really nice. That was one of those ones where like I knew enough where I could get out, I was knew what I was doing, so I wasn't always getting reprimanded, and I could graft away and do the job. And so people were like, you know, treated you decently, and 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 you weren't. That was the first job where I was doing as a trainee, where I didn't feel like I was constantly trying to prove myself every day to everyone. Um, and I could just get on with the job, and I enjoyed that job a lot more. And part of mm-hmm. it was I was working out of town. There was a great group of people with me. But it was a case of like, if you didn't perform, you you heard about it, mm-hmm. and there was a prestige to working on that on that movie as well, because I think people understood that it was going to have this like really weird tone and be be something different, but you know, creatively satisfying, mm. and which which you know, and and so I got I've I've loved, I walked out of that movie with like a ton of stories that were great, but that was the show that I did before I went to Vancouver first time that essentially made me too cocky mm. when I arrived in Vancouver because mm. I think I had too good a time when I was doing it. Um, now you could now cutting forward obviously a significant number of years to Shogun, and I'm and I'm like I was a first to see Focus Puller, 
but I came on to do the second units essentially. But but they're because the way they structured it, they were like, look, if there's an additional camera on the main unit, we were going to be doing it. But then if there was any second unit, splinter unit, any any unit that took us away from working with the main unit, we would become the we would go do that, do the main to do. So we were doing like you know a bunch of fights with samurai, a bunch of like just cool shots, like a bunch of stuff that you know just kept us away from the craziness of the main unit, which is such a big machine so loud and there's so much going on you know we'd be we we tended to get shied away from that but then we'd come in on the big days where there'd be we'd be with them on the big days where you'd be like sailing a ship like a like a japanese battleship into the side of another ship or or you know having like watching horses trample on stunt performers and stuff like that it'd be you know we'd be we'd be in there for, for all the like what the fuck moments and then but then like the the, the grinding days where they were just like getting through dialogue, we tended to be off doing something like Let, let's get some cool vistas, let's go do some like some like time lapses and stuff like that. It would just all be so it was it was another good experience, but there was also there's a lot more responsibility on on me as a focus puller than I was when I was a camera trainee on Bronson. But at the same time, there's less that like on Shogun, there's le- there was essentially a less responsibility on me than there would be. Say I did a, a series Goosebumps based on the kids' books that uh, recently. Awesome. That uh, I was the main unit air camera focus puller, or like say when I was again main unit air camera focus puller on Deadly Class, there is so much responsibility on you because you're organising so many different parts of the camera department to like fit in place. So I'm doing the same. Essentially, I'm doing the same job as in focus pulling on Shogun that I'm these other shows. But I could enjoy it a bit more because I was not every the all the gears weren't working. Like I didn't have to make sure all the gears were working. If you know what I mean. You know, reflecting back to you know Bronson as a trainee and now having the responsibility of of trainees yourself and are, are the things that you put into place now that you're in a position of authority. I just think everyone needs to. It's not we're not in the military. I wish people would understand that a bit more. And I, I know that was the old, that was maybe more of an old school thing where it's like that military, that militaristic attitude to it. We're not in the military. Camera trainees, by and large, aren't children. They're adults. They might be young adults. They might be eight, but they'll be 18 over. They are, you know, they are in part of the workforce. So to treat them without respect, I find really it, that that's what that's what aggravates me when you see people like basically talking to a, a trainee like they're a child or, or or not or you know not that they or, 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 or trying to be like that hard taskmaster thing because that's mm-hmm. I, I i just think you've got to treat every, you've got to treat them you've got to treat everybody with the respect that you want to be treated to which is which is obvious i mean i i try and teach my kids that and it's this so that it's that same thing with it's uh, the modern work. Oh, I'm kind of rambling here. It's like it's it's <laughs> part of being the modern workforce, which I'm I'm happy that it's that that we have got away to some respects of that hard line. Scream at, scream at people when they make the smallest mistake. Like give everyone the respect. Take time with them when they need time. Don't overmanage them when they don't need to be overmanaged. You'll get a feel for what a, where training is at pretty quickly and you'll understand if you've got to get involved more than a, like more with more with some. Some are 
some mm-hmm. almost come to you fully formed as well because the trainee the way trainees are set up in in Canada is a lot different than it is in England. Like in England, I would train. I was training with the same group of people, job after job after job, and I was going through the entire length of a job with them. In Canada, they're part of the union, and they are placed with like a trainee is placed by the union with you as a crew for five weeks, and then after five weeks they go and you get another trainee. And the idea is they get exposed to a bunch of different crews, a bunch of different techniques, and they understand mm. and they can kind of pick up what they like, what works for them and what doesn't, but also meet a bunch of crew so that when they eventually upgrade from a trainee to be a second ac they know a bunch of people and they're like well i love them as a as a trainee i'm going to hire them when i need a second for a few days and you know you you, they basically it's a way of placing them with a bunch of different people and it's like okay you should be able to find your tribe in this Mm, almost yeah there's pros and cons with both i suppose but um... yeah yeah because and sometimes you'll get you sometimes get placed with a trainee that doesn't gel with you yeah, yeah. Or, or like, or, or, you know, it doesn't, it's not working or they don't, they're not grasping what you want, them to, what you kind of want or need them to grasp. And, and some, you know, some people default and shout at them and tell them the shit or like send them or, just, or try and fire them or get them placed somewhere else. I tend, I don't like to do that. I think you, you have your trainee, they, they give you the person for the time and you've got them for the time they allotted and you do see what you can do with them. You see how they fit, and then you send them on the way, and you'll either see them again down the line if you want them, or you don't need to hire them when when, when they're gone. But it's it's that kind of that's the kind of capitalist nature to it all as well. It's like it's it's like you've you'll but you'll find you you'll find a crew. You'll find you. It's very it's very tribal as well in a way, and like that's I think that's just what Patrick was kind of alluded to in in the previous uh, in his previous episode with the ads. It's You'll find your people, and you'll 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 keep a you'll keep the people that kind of worked worked along with you close, and the ones that you don't, then they'll they'll find they'll find theirs somewhere else. But within all of that, Aiden, um, what is there anything you'd do differently if you started again, or what advice would you give yourself when you were younger, or advice to anyone who's starting out with you? Um, yeah, I think it'd probably be like. I'd say uh, don't let don't let a win go to your head, but don't let a loss go to your heart. Oh. You know what I mean? It's like oh, oh, it's beautiful. Well, I think that's from a Public Enemy song, but I'm not sure which one. But it's it's like I used to the when I used to make a mistake when I was a trainee. I was so I was the first person to be so I beat myself up so much about it to the stage where you're almost fucking useless to the crew for a bit because you're like oh why am I doing this why have I like why can't I you know and you and it might be it might be a small thing that like you know they've not even noticed and then you're down on yourself and you doubt yourself and then it, it might it takes a while to pick you back up and then well you might need someone to pull you back out like pull you out of it and they don't want to spend the time doing that because they've got a lot of work to do. And so, so it, if you can just be like, okay, you know, this has happened, move on, crack away, don't do it again, make, you know, learn from your mistakes. That's what I mean by don't, don't let the loss go. Yeah. But like the same thing when you're doing well, don't get a big ego. Don't think you're going to go to a completely different country and they'll, they'll be like, yeah, come on in. Well, in fact, <laughs> let's kick this guy out so you can come in. I work with Bronson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, exactly. I've seen Tom Hardy's dick in blue polish. <laughs> you should hire me. Play even keeled. Don't peak mm. or trough. Just 
play the level playing field. Yeah. And don't and don't get fucked off when other people have got work that you think like mm-hmm. I was I was so bad for being like, how did that person get this job? Like this is obviously going back. I was because I mean part of me is that I was insecure. We've all done it, mate. Yeah, yeah. And you and, and it's like your your you know, your ego's working and like you feel you're at a place where you sh- you should be getting the breaks and that might not be coming as 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 you as you dictate they should be. But then I remember reading uh, The Devil's Candy, which is the book about I think it's a book about the bonfire of the vanities. Um, okay. with the, the, the like the the kind of big flop that that was. And there's a chat, there's a bit in that where they're talking about being in post production and Brian De Palma was walking along the lot and he used to go and meet up with Steven Spielberg every day, every morning for coffee um, on the studio lot. And they're sitting there and Brian De Palma's started saying like, oh, I can't believe such and such has got this, is directing whatever. And apparently took, like, even though Brian De Palma's like established and, you know, master of his field, it took Steven Spielberg to sit and was like, hey, it's okay, you know, every, hey, you're working. There's enough work to go around. You know, you'll find, your, you know, there'll be an opportunity. To, to, I'm, I remember reading that and I was, I think I was probably right in the time where I was like cussing someone else out for getting a job that I never even put my like resume in for. <laughs> and then, and so I just, just don't try and measure yourself by other people is what I'd say to myself and to other people coming in. Just do, try and do your thing, especially in the camera department. Just work your own, work your own strength, right? Yeah. Wow. Aiden. It goes quick, doesn't it? <laughs> it, does. it flies by. Well, uh, speaking of flying by, I've got some quick fire questions yeah. that I want to throw at you. This first one, though, needs some context. The answer doesn't necessarily need to be a director. So when I'm referring to a filmmaker, this could be anybody uh, who works or has worked in the industry. So first question, quick fire round. Favorite filmmaker and why? Uh, Sam McCurdy, who is a director of photography, who is a northeast born and bred. He's an absolute legend. He uh, was the DP for Wolf Soldiers. Do you remember that? Oh, Dog Soldiers. Sorry, Dog Soldiers. Uh, Like Centurion. uh, He's done a whole bunch of stuff. You'll see his, if you ever look on IMDb, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. He's awesome. And I had the absolute pleasure working with him when I actually was in Vancouver, not when I was in the northeast of England. He was always the guy that was at, at the head of the pack. You know, as I was coming up, coming through, I was like, I didn't get to work with him when I was in England, but you know, he always had this reputation of being a great guy, great to his crew, incredibly talented. Um, and he did. And when I finally ran into him in Vancouver, he did not disappoint. He was all those things, gracious, like fantastic, like great human, great stories. And then he was one of the DPs on Shogun, and he was. He, it was an absolute pleasure. Now I've got a lot of admiration for him, not just for his talent, but the, with the way he takes on a job and the way he deals with everybody that's in his surrounding. And he's pretty—he's very beloved in the in the industry back in England and also over here. So I'd nice. say Sam McCurdy, so the Northeast. Very good. <laughs> um, favorite film? First one that comes to mind? Oh, uh, Twelve Angry Men. Weirdly. Ooh. Oh, you're gonna say yeah. midnight run. Yeah. I know. I, I, twelve angry men is twelve like that's a. It's a real weird one because I've not watched it as much as midnight run, but it's uh it's fucking perfect. Good choice. Yeah. yeah good know. choice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Worst film you have seen in the theater? 
do you remember the was it the Avengers that came out with Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was that. It was Connery bad. in it? Yeah, I well. think Connery was in yeah, it. Yeah, he was a well. bad guy. I thought you were going to say yeah. Taipei Four Way, Aiden. <laughs> That oh, you and I walked out of. Oh, I'd have forgotten that one. So that would have been a good one. Couldn't have been that bad then. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot. A lot of the bad ones are like I've not. I've not seen in the cinema. I've like waited and be like, yeah. home releases. Favorite craft services food or catering on set? What's yeah, your, what, what's what, your order? What What yeah. do you ask your uh, trainee to get you? Oh, the um, hot dogs. Very North oh, American. Oh, the hot dogs. Foot <laughs> <laughs> long. Who's got the footlong? Yeah, screaming hot dogs for hot snack until uh, someone eventually gets sick of you screaming it and make, and puts it on <laughs> is a good one. But the, to, to be honest, the best is so productions over here at some point during the show will usually bring a food truck in to cater to everyone like at the, near the end of the day, which is a very nice bonus. And the best one that comes out is a, is a thing called Mom's Grilled Cheese. Mm, it says wow. he's like amazing gourmet grilled cheese sandwiches and the rumor is that the woman that runs it so mom is quentin tarantino's craft service lady. oh cool nice okay very good okay final final question Aiden. if you could go back in time and somehow magic this what film would you have worked i don't know that's a hard one i'd say i mean i've always i'd love to do even though i'd I'm not a massive fan of like watching them. I'd love to have done one of those old musicals, like the song. One, the one ones that Badger loves. You just didn't say this because Big song and dance numbers. Seven brides, seven brothers. But like, um, I'd love to do something like that. But taking the modern technology and like be a focus puller when you're swinging around oh, on yeah. a crane or running around on steady cam. But like with that big production value that had to come from doing those huge song and dance numbers back in the back in the day. Okay. That's great stuff, Aiden. Well, you made it. You got through it. I hope that was. I hope that was okay. But um, I don't, I don't know about you, Patrick. But thank you very much, Aiden. Yeah, that's um, really, great. really enjoyed that. Lots of great insight, and I think as well for for our listeners, especially those that even if they're not interested in in kind of pursuing a career, just the the flesh that you put on the bones of some of the, as you say, the the cogs within the machine. Because as a viewer, um. Even if you're a passionate viewer, you know the tendency is to gravitate towards those key names in the credits. You know the DOP, the director, um, and the actors. And it, it's so easy, isn't it, to forget about the ads and and the ACs slash focus pullers? Because you know what, if it ain't in focus, <laughs> you ain't in it. You know, there's so, plenty that's not as well. Gally, you're, you're so salt of the earth, looking out for the little guy, aren't you? Well, this is what we do. We interview the worker bees because uh, <laughs> Christ, there's enough podcast interviewing those people that uh, that sit at the top of the tree. What can we say? Aiden, I really appreciate your your, your honesty and your candor, and, yeah, and also you, just really your great. insight and. You know, don't, don't knock yourself down, man. You're very, very eloquent. Like, I feel like I've been on a journey. It's really great just to hear how successful you've been. You know, you moved <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere <laughs> and made it work. You've been nine years, like you said. It could have, it couldn't have worked that way. It's, thanks for telling us how it did. And hey, it's, yeah. it's, it's awesome to see. We'll say our goodbyes before we do. Um, listeners, 
you like what we do, then please like, share, subscribe, spread the gospel. That's what we ask. And I hope you are enjoying um, this series, The Open Slate. The Open Slate. The Open Slate, yes. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, the, the Open Slate. If, if we can't have a, no one can. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you're enjoying it. We'll be resuming normal service. Um, so for those of you that need homework, casino next so you're gonna need it you're gonna need the heads up because it's fucking three hours long uh, <laughs> tell you. um so that's up next but aiden absolute pleasure i hope you enjoyed it hey it's been a blast lads thank you very much cheers for letting us ramble yeah our pleasure and thanks galley no not a problem we'll say our goodbyes then shall we it's galley in glasgow signing out thanks aiden thanks guys it's patrick in london cheers lads always a pleasure it's aiden in vancouver thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you next time on the rewind movie podcast with the sultan with the sultan